them uh, Haitian Children's Choir and also our children, uh, K through 3, who are usually in children's worship on a day like today, in with us as well because we are looking at the most famous, perhaps the most famous children's story in all the Bible in Daniel chapter 6 where God saved Daniel in, not from, but in the lion's den. And I want to cover this story with two major uh, headings. One is an analysis of the story. Uh, The first item in the analysis is a disappointing decree. Read with me in chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be over the whole kingdom. And over these, three governors, of whom Daniel was one, that the satraps might give account to them, so that the king would suffer no loss. Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and the satraps because of an excellent spirit was in him. And the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. So the governors and the satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom. Well, the king as a result was convinced to make a decree beginning in verse number 4 because they were terribly jealous of Daniel and they could not find any fault in him. In verse 6 it says, So these governors and satraps thronged before the king and said to him, King Darius, live forever. All the governors of the kingdom, the administrators and satraps, the counselors and advisors, have consulted together. An outright lie. Indeed it was. And they have uh, consulted together to establish a royal statue and to make a firm decree that whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing. Well, here Daniel is, most estimate about 85 years old. He's been faithful every decade of his life. He's interpreted dreams. He stabilized the kingdom. He has saved the bacon of several different kings, no matter who or what they are. And here at the end of his life, is this the best God can do with him? For there to be circumstances to arise to where Daniel, if he's faithful to God, is thrown into a lion's den. This is what Daniel is facing. I mean, did God revive the nation of Babylon? Did any of the king or his subordinates listen to Daniel? Uh, Daniel's 85. He's in his ninth decade. Shouldn't he have a little bit of rest from all of this tension and all of this difficulty? That's not what happens to Daniel at the end of his life. What happens to Daniel is that after decades of faithfulness, he gets the lions. Well, there's a disappointing decree. Then, look what Daniel does in verse 10. He begins defiant devotion. Verse number 10. Now pay careful attention to the language here. When Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home. And in his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, and as was his custom since earlier days. Uh, we think we may have this prayer in chapter 9, in fact, just a few chapters beyond. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. Daniel prayed outside the ordinances of government. He did not pray in a way that was acceptable to his colleagues. He did not pray in a way that was acceptable to the government. And yet, 
He prayed anyway. He intentionally went out of his way to engage in defiant devotion. And there are five factors in this text that indicate that. He, um, it says that when he knew this decree was signed, he went off to pray. The moment it was signed, he went home and prayed. He did not wait. He didn't outlast it 30 days. He did not do that at all. He intentionally went home to pray the moment he learned it was signed. He was defiant in a holy way also because he opened his windows. He did not close them. He opened them wide open as he always had. He didn't change a thing about his faithfulness to God just because there was this decree. And that's not all. He continued to pray as he always had, and he did not wait 30 days until the storm of government oppression passed by. And then he prayed three times that day, not just once. And then finally, he prayed out loud, not just in his heart and mind. And so Daniel intentionally, visibly, out loud, took a stand in faithfulness, and he prayed unto God. When Darius's law conflicted with the law of God, Daniel obeyed God rather than men. Well, there's divine deliverance in verse 16 to 24, and I want you to pick up with me there, beginning in verse 16. So the king gave the command, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. But the king spoke, saying to Daniel, Your God, whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. Then a stone was brought and laid at the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring. A den happened to be a hole cut in the earth, and it had an entrance from the side and an entrance from top. It usually had a wall that divided it. The lions were on one side, the victim on the other, and they would lift the wall when it was time for feeding. And the king ended up sealing the entrances to the tomb with his own signet ring. Then it goes on in verse number 18. Now the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting, and no musicians were brought before him. Also his sleep went from him. Then the king rose very early in the morning and went into haste to the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried out with a lamenting voice to Daniel. The king spoke, saying to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? And then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths so that they've not hurt me because I was found innocent before him. And also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. Now the king was exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no injury whatever was found on him because he believed in his God. Now, it's probably a good thing for the lions that they didn't eat Daniel because he was 50% grit and 50% backbone is what he would not not a very appetizing meal even in these days of his life but there's an awful lot of irony in this text Daniel was safer in the king Daniel was safer in the lions den than he was in the king's palace where intrigue and manipulation happened and that's because he was in the will of God Daniel slept at night while the king fretted over Daniel's condition. That's not all. But the king ends up fasting, but the lions don't have to eventually. In verse number 20, 24, And the king gave the command, and they brought these men who accused Daniel, and they cast them into the den of lions. 
And so the king fasted, but the lions were able to eat Daniel's enemies. And then the powerful are eaten, but the weak are rescued. John Wesley, the founder of uh, Methodism, uh, incited 50 riots in his outdoor preaching. He didn't mean to, but they didn't like what he said about being born again and that your religion's not enough to make you right with God and that you must have a heart and devotion to Jesus Christ and that uh, be mere religious formalism and observance is not enough to make you right with God and to please the Lord. And this incited 50 riots. And in one particular riot, one man uh, left his seat and was going to come and punch John Wesley. At the same time, a man picked up a rock to throw at John Wesley. But he missed John Wesley and hit the man that was going to hit John Wesley. And John Wesley cried out, Oh, isn't God's providence wonderful? That is what God is able to do. Well, this is what takes place in the text. Listen, make no mistake about it. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that also shall he reap. If he sows to the flesh, corruption shows to the, sows to the Spirit eternal life. So let us not grow weary in well-doing, for we shall reap if we faint not. That's what took place with Daniel. God intervened and pulled off a miracle in verse 22. It's not that the lions were apathetic towards Daniel's presence. They didn't start purring when he showed up. Apparently, they attempted to attack Daniel, and God intervened by an angel, and he shut their mouth. There's divine deliverance. But then there's Darius' decision as a result in verse 25 through verse 28. Darius becomes rather evangelistic. He begins to witness for Daniel's God. We're wanting to do that between now and October 23rd when we have John Reed in, an evangelist, to share the gospel with your friends and family and your acquaintances and mine. And if Darius can do that, then certainly we can. And look what he says. I'm not making this up. He says in verse 25, To all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in the earth, peace be multiplied to you. Sounds like one of Paul's letters. And then he goes on to verse 26. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men must tremble in fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and steadfast forever. His kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed and his dominion shall endure to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on, on, on the earth who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. That's the entire theological point of the whole text. And the whole point of this story, combining the majesty and the exaltation of God and His kingdom and rule, with the example of Daniel is this. Daniel's faithfulness resembled the rule of God. What, what the king said about God's rule in verse 26 is precisely what we could say about Daniel's faithfulness. We say about God that He is the living God. Daniel's faithfulness was living and active. And steadfast forever. Daniel's faithfulness was steadfast forever, even in the face of the lions. His kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed. Daniel's faithfulness is the one that shall not be destroyed. His dominion shall endure to the end. Daniel's faithfulness endured to the end. So there is a tight connection in this text between the rule and sovereignty of God on one hand and the faithfulness of Daniel on the other. Daniel modeled his faithfulness not on the basis of what he saw in Babylon or in the court or any other place on the earth. Daniel modeled his faithfulness on the basis of what he saw in God. And this pagan king picked it up. And he was entirely correct in describing God, but in describing God, 
He was also describing the faithfulness of Daniel. Beloved, let me make it very, very clear to you. As the days increasingly grow hostile, especially in the centers of power, maybe not with the common man, but in the centers of power, and as these seek to creep and interfere with our freedom to follow Jesus Christ as Lord, let me make one thing perfectly clear. Our faithfulness is not to be patterned and modeled after men or women of the earth, not even after the best Christian you and I may know. First and foremost, our faithfulness is to be modeled after God and His rule. He's the example. He's the utmost. He's the highest. He is the exalted. And so our faithfulness resembles His rule. Well, let me apply this then in three different ways. One, like God's rule, our faithfulness will be uncommon. Daniel's faithfulness was uncommon. It was not popular to follow this God in the court of Darius. Not at all. It was not to be expected. In fact, it was opposed, and it became the turning point in their accusation of Daniel. They used religion against Daniel. And their offspring, I'm afraid, are still with us in many ways. So Daniel represents God. He appeared to be out of, out of step with the times. He was out of step with his government. And oftentimes, his God is too. God rules as he wants to rule. And he does not conform, capitulate, or cower before sinners. He takes no polls. He seeks no input. He seeks no buy-in. He seeks no consent. Now, governments should do that. We should do that with places that we lead. But this is not what God does. God does not implement a democratic form of government with his people. And when Christ comes, it will not be a democracy. It will be a theocracy that he will implement. We don't implement it, but he will. And it doesn't bother him to contradict sinners. It, he does not fret that his views are not universally liked. He is not a nervous Nelly. He does not need acceptance. He needs no one's approval. And we are to model our faithfulness after him. And so you may find at times that your faithfulness is at odds with the prevailing climate where you are. In fact, your faithfulness may get you into trouble. And Daniel would say, get used to it. Get used to it. Your goal in life then is not to be accepted by people or approved by people or applauded by people or advanced by people. Your goal is not even to keep a job. Your goal is not to stay out of the den of lions. You have but one goal if you belong to Jesus Christ, and you need to know, if you don't know Christ today, God is calling you to this kind of life. God is calling you to bow the knee before Jesus and make Him supreme King and Him supreme Lord. So here's your goal. You trust God, you obey Him, and you leave the outcome and the fallout completely to Him. You do not play it safe with Jesus. Now, I'm always a little nervous to say things like this in a Baptist crowd. Let me tell you why. Baptists are awful lot, can be an awful lot like Texans. You know what the definition of a Texan is? A Texan is someone who's walking down a road one day and sees two men in a fist fight and taps one on the shoulder and says, is this a private fight or can I get in on it? I, I'm not encouraging that. 
I'm not encouraging you to provoke trouble, but if you're faithful to God, sometime or another, trouble will find you. And your goal then is not to play it safe. Now listen to me. Your goal is not to play it safe. Your goal is not to calculate how you can navigate that and hide your faith in Jesus Christ and your effusive love for Him. That's not your goal. Your goal is to trust God, obey Him, and leave the fallout and consequences to Him and not flinch or wilt one bit. And so, like God's rule, our faithfulness may be uncommon. But then, like God's rule, our faithfulness will be unconditional. God did not require anything of Daniel. You know, we talk an awful lot about, uh, or excuse me, Daniel didn't require anything of God. We talk about unconditional love. And, and that's good, and that's a sweet thing. And we should be uh, very grateful and thrilled with praise on our lips that God loves us unconditionally. But our faithfulness to God must be unconditional as well. In fact, Daniel did not require of God that God keep him out of the den of lions. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel chapter 3 did not require God to deliver them to refuse to bow before the idol. They said, God will deliver us, and if he doesn't, we're still not bowing. In other words, our faithfulness to God is thoroughly and entirely unconditional to him. God does not have to do for us for us to do for him. Now, he will. But it will probably involve a surprise. And it will probably just be a moment before disaster strikes. It will not be early. It won't be late. It will be just on time, which will probably leave you profoundly uncomfortable. And that's, that's the way God does things oftentimes. But nevertheless, we follow Him even if we are fed to lions. God has no conditions placed on Him in His rule. He makes promises And he keeps them. And that's why the cross is such a marvelous, marvelous word for every day. He promised in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 to Satan, in fact, that you will crush his heel, but he will crush your head. And that's what Jesus Christ did at the cross. Jesus bled there. It was not to the advantage of Jesus to die for our sins. It wasn't to his advantage at all. In fact, even today in his resurrected body, he still bears the wounds in his hands and his feet. That's how Thomas identified him in his resurrected glory. It was not to the advantage of Jesus to die for us, but he died for the advantage of the world. And that's what he cared about. And we return that same kind of faithfulness unto God. We trust and obey God faithfully without condition. God does not have to keep us from the fiery furnace or the lion's den for us to be faithful. He does not have to meet our needs as we expect them. All he has to do is give the order, and that's enough. Psalms 15.4 praises those who keep their promises even when it hurts. That's all we care about. We keep our promises, and we let God be God. So, like God's rule then, our faithfulness will be uncommon and unconditional, but then like God's rule, our faithfulness will be unchanging. Romans 10.13 is a promise that was made by the, by the Lord through the prophet Joel and repeated numerous times throughout the New Testament. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, is what he's promised. Jeremiah 29.13 was a word that rang in the exile's ear, including Daniel. Then you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. God's law never changes because God never changes. He, and I'm going to give you a $400 college word here, God is immutable. Can you say immutable? God is immutable. Look at your neighbor and say, God's immutable. 
Now look at your other neighbor and say, I know what that means. <laughs> Immutable means he cannot be mutated. He cannot be changed. God does not change. And so, beloved, if, if it was an expectation, if it was an element of the faith, if it was a, uh, a command, in the first century when Jesus was here, it's a command today. If it was an expectation when Jesus was here, it's an expectation today. Nothing of God changes. Nothing of his expectations change. God remains the same. And Daniel knew this, and so he prayed. Despite the fact that the laws of the Medes and Persians by the hand of Darius had changed. The laws changed. Daniel didn't. He didn't calculate. He wasn't looking for the safe way out. He simply was looking for an opportunity to obey God, we clutch God's ancient ways and God's ancient law because they are far superior to what this crowd, current crowd, is offering to us. He is the only rock. He is the only sure foundation. And the devil and his crowd have never offered an adequate alternative to the matchless name of Jesus. We will go with him. And we're with him forever. Lottie Moon really appreciated that. Most of you are familiar with the name Lottie Moon. She, uh, probably the utmost Southern Baptist missionary that's ever served, and come soon we will begin to promote a Christmas missions offering uh, using her name. And uh, it's a very wise thing to do. Lottie was a very, decades ahead of her time, by the way. But she uh, was on the mission field in China for more than 40 years. She only came back to the United States about three times, and she never married. But one time when she was home in Virginia, Anise asked her, Aunt Lottie, have you ever been in love? And Lottie had been in love. In fact, she'd been engaged to the Southern Seminary professor Crawford H. Toy. Crawford H. Toy, however, departed from the faith. He took an evolutionary approach to the Scripture, not just Genesis 1 and 2, but the whole Bible, and began to lose his faith. And he had to be dismissed from Southern Seminary and eventually went to Harvard and taught at Harvard Hebrew and Old Testament Wrote great grammars, in fact, Hebrew grammars, and a, um, uh, a noted commentary on the book of Proverbs. But he drifted from the church, died a Unitarian, and at the end of his life had no faith at all. He started that trek whenever the, he and Lottie Moon were engaged. And Lottie saw that. He began to back away from the mission field. He had surrendered to go, but the war between the states prevented his going. And... After it was all over, she resumed her relationship with him and found that he had drifted away from the biblical faith and she broke off the engagement. Crawford H. Toy died a Unitarian. Lottie Moon died alone. And this niece asked her, have you ever been in love? And she says, I have. She said, well, what happened? She said, well, God had first claim on my life. And because the two conflicted, there was no doubt about the result. No doubt about the result. The engagement was over. There was no doubt about the result. She stayed in China. No doubt about the result. Never married. No doubt about the result. Oh, dear God, please do not be far from us. Oh, God, would you hasten to help us? And dear God, build us into the kind of people, holy God, to where we are challenged in our faith. There is no doubt about the result. None. We're not wimpy. 
We don't wilt. We don't cower. We don't seek people's approval. We don't look for the safest place. We're not averse to risk. We go with Him. We trust, obey, and leave the consequences to His name. That's where we stand. And Daniel did. He did so because that is God's posture towards faithfulness. Beloved, this is how God operates His kingdom. Can can you imagine what it would be like to pray to a God who is as fickle and unstable as we are? Can you imagine a God whose promises are no sturdy than water? You couldn't stand on God's promises anymore. And so someone could come to him and say, you promise whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And God says, well, I don't feel like it today. And, and saving you would not be very meaningful to me. Or, you know, I, I really don't like how you sing. I don't want you. Or here you come again, repenting again. Didn't we hear that last week? Can you imagine if God was as unstable as water, as unstable as the average person? No one would ever go to him, but thank God. Thank God. He is as solid as a rock. And some of you have been to the bottom, and you found that down below at the very bottom there's a rock. He is firm. He comes through with his word. And in John 6, 37, he says, He who comes to me, I will in no way cast out. In the Greek text, that's a double negative. Not good English, but it is beneficial Greek where he is emphatically stating, He who comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. Under no circumstance. One country preacher heard this and he said, He who comes to me, and he translated it this way, He who comes to me, I will never, no, never, no, never, no, never cast out. And he was entirely correct, and God makes that promise to you. He says, if you will allow your heart to break under your guilt and how you have violated my law, because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and if you will trust the death and resurrection of my son only, not trusting your own works or virtue, which really don't exist before me, God would say, but you'll be justified by faith in Jesus Christ alone. If you'll do that, I'm going to keep my promise to you. And friend, today you're surrounded by many people who've leaned on that promise. And listen, today you don't come, listen, let me clarify. You don't come today making a promise. You come claiming a promise God's given you. And if he would crucify his only begotten son and raise him from the dead, then surely this God will forgive sin and cancel yours. Our staff will be standing here at the front in just a moment. And when we sing, we want to encourage you to come get the spiritual help that you need. And if you need to make that decision for Christ, now's a great time to do it. And then we have, um, uh, you, you may have another decision you need to make. Maybe you need to become part of Beach Haven. We'll be glad to help you with that, to become members if you know Christ. If you need to be baptized, we would love to help you with that. Maybe there's some other spiritual need that you have. But let us come with that heart of faithfulness. Would you stand with me, please? And let's pray. Holy God, we bless you and thank you for the word. We thank you for this marvelous, marvelous, vivid demonstration of your faithfulness in the life of Daniel. He didn't bend or flinch, and thank you that now, in this time, you will neither bend nor flinch at all. You will come through for anyone who calls upon your name. Oh, Father, we plead for you to do that. Would you magnify your son today? 
by cleansing and by forgiving, by claiming, making your own, strengthening. And Lord, just meeting the spiritual need that is here or other need. We commit that to you. And ask in Jesus' strong name that he would get everything that he intended to get today from us. We bless you. We thank you that you are firm. And we can stand on you in a broad place. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you come? You come. My heart hangs on every word that you speak. I need you.